0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Narrative. In Gaza, Israeli forces appear ready to lay siege to Gaza city. After days of an unrelenting ground offensive in response to the Hamas attacks on Israel on October the 7th, hundreds of Hamas militants have been killed and 19 Israeli soldiers have also died. 240 hostages remain in captivity, but those numbers belie the real situation on the ground in Gaza. Which has been described as catastrophic. Foreigners trapped in Gaza have been allowed to leave through the Rafah border with Egypt. President Biden is calling for a humanitarian pause and has dispatched Secretary of State Anthony Blinken back to the Middle East with one mission in mind to protect civilians. There are also reports this evening that the Biden administration is looking beyond Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to help solve the crisis. My guest tonight is one of Israel's leading political commentators. She joins me for a remarkable conversation that is both personal and political. We're joined now by Tal Shalev from one of the biggest news outlets in Israel. Tal is the chief political correspondent for Walla News, the largest Israeli website providing independent breaking news, and analysis 24 hours a day. She covers Israel Prime Minister, government and parliament, as well as the country's foreign and diplomatic affairs. And uh, even though we share a last name, we're not related, but it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to Narrative, Tal.
1: Thank you for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Um, It's been quite a remarkable turnaround, it feels to me, in the last couple of weeks. We've had, uh, I guess there was a little bit of hope for negotiations and peace a few weeks ago. And now this unrelenting assault on Gaza, which seems to be the pictures seem awful, on both sides, it's just the area where the Israelis are fighting it seems like a, a war zone out of Mars. And it seems so destitute and destroyed. And then also for the civilians stuck in Gaza, there's just a it's just a hopeless situation for everybody. What's the latest from from where you you are in Tel Aviv? But what's, what's what's the vantage point like from there where you are?
1: I think first of all, it's important to describe and note what kind of state of mind. Israel is in right now, the Israeli people, because the Seventh of October massacre was it was it was not it was like nothing we have ever experienced or ever imagined. And honestly, it's been like a nightmare ever since, because every day we hear more stories of the horror that happened there and really unhuman atrocities, really undescribable crimes against Really peaceful civilians. You should know that Strip, the Gaza Strip, the communities on the Gaza border at large, they are probably the one of the last peace proponents in Israel. So the shock and the grief and the fear and the anxiety is still very much, very much, vivid in our day-to-day life. Even though the fighting is going on in Gaza, there are about 200,000 Israelis who have been evacuated both from the Gaza Strip and from the north, where there's another front. At large, the feeling in Israel, a on the one hand, is very fragile, perhaps even insecure. And on the other hand, there has been a ground in Persian going on almost a week of the IDF in Gaza, which also has already taken more lives of soldiers, of soldiers who fell in battle. I think we're at 19 at the moment since the ground incursion started last week. And yes, the humanitarian situation in Gaza is deteriorating. There's a lot of international pressure on Israel to open up humanitarian corridors. But if I go back to where I started... I don't think the Israeli public is yet willing or is that open to open humanitarian corridors without it having any humanitarian response to our 242 hostages currently kept in Gaza. And it's important to note that many of those hostages are not prisoners of war. They're not soldiers that were captured. They are civilian hostages, children children and women and the young girls all taken hostage by Hamas. And Hamas in many ways is keeping both the Israeli, both Israel captured and the Gaza population, the Gaza civilian population captured because Israel has been urging the residents of Gaza to move down to evacuate from Gaza to to a safe strip in the south of the Gaza Strip. And Hamas, reportedly has not been letting the civilians out and from us is still operating under hospitals and in between civilian households. It's a very complicated situation and it's a very tragic situation.
0: It isn't. I mean there's so much there that it's so important to pick up on. And the first part I think was that the Israelis are still experiencing the trauma and coming recovering from the trauma of what happened on October seventh. It'll take them many years to probably do that. But reliving those images as they've been, been reported in the news has been re-traumatizing the Israeli population again. So you've got a sort of a secondary reaction to what happened on October 7th, and that's causing new emotions and new tensions to flare up. And it's certainly, it, it, the intention there is obviously well, exactly what Hamas intended, was for there to be something so bloody and gruesome that it would enrage Israelis to the point that they would do exactly what they're doing now. And that's the awful part of this whole situation is basically Hamas laid a trap. And regardless of how you react, you're falling into that trap unless unless they release the hostages, which is now in the last few hours, we've had uh, Hamas again say to NBC News here locally that they are willing to release all the hostages if there's a cessation of of military activity and if there's a release of all the Palestinian prisoners. Now, that's a. A bit of a ruse, of course, it can't be done. But if it could be done, is, is that something that would be popular in Israel? Are people actively interested in this prisoner swap for the hostages?
1: Like everything in the region and in this country, it's complicated. First of all, I would take everything that Hamas says with a grain of salt as they are employing deep psychological warfare on Israelis, especially on that matter of the hostages. Which is basically really tearing up every person in the country's heart. There are families, totally families again, all the families and the children and the elderly. And it's just, and I cover the families, I speak to the families, and you cannot, you can, just cannot bear the pain of this. B, um, the families themselves have brought up the notion of a prisoner swap and they have presented an equation, even a very, I would say, grandiose equation, which says, let's release all of Hamas prisoners in Israeli prisons, which is about Mm 6,000, in exchange for the 242 hostages in Gaza. Now, the... Israeli psyche and collective trauma does not like prisoner swaps. The last time we did a prisoner swap was with Hamas in 2011, in which Israel released over, I think, 1,200 Hamas terrorists, not Hamas, Palestinian, not only Hamas, Palestinian terrorists from, uh, from uh, the Israeli prisons in exchange for one soldier. Mm-hmm. Now, many of the terrorists that were released in that prisoner swap they were involved, highly involved in the hor- horrible massacre that happened on, on October 7th. I think that it will be very difficult politically and publicly to create public support for such a grandiose deal. That being said, I also, up until now, Hamas did not even bring up that deal. There has been behind the scenes mediation, Qatar is mediating between Israel. The U.S. is involved. Many European countries are involved. But so far, there hasn't been a real offer on the table. So I just think that the only thing I say I can say is that I do not envy the decision makers in Israel who will have to make that decision if such a deal does emerge. Personally, I think that our first duty is to bring all of those hostages home, But the general Israeli atmosphere and public opinion does not necessarily agree with me. Probably would not be very, it would probably be very divisive, the question if such a deal was to come up. And I'm not sure how uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, as prime minister, whose main coalition is a very right wing coalition, who will probably be opposed to such a deal, it'll probably take a very heavy political price from Netanyahu, which I don't know if he's willing to take.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Prime Minister Netanyahu, because you pointed out in an article published recently that he has not yet taken any responsibility for the events, not necessarily of October the 7th, but certainly the security situation leading up to October 7th and the unpreparedness of the Israeli military forces and the intelligence forces for this attack. There's other people who have taken responsibility within the infrastructure there, but not Bibi Netanyahu. Even the same person who offered that um, hostage exchange today on NBC News, he, even he was saying this, this war didn't start on October 7th. This war started many years ago. There's, just, there's a lot of people who are accepting that there are different, um, different areas of responsibility. But Bibi Netanyahu seems to have been quite stalwart in this. He's not taking any responsibility He's barely even appeared in public. And where he has, it's been very staged managed. What are we to take from that? Is he just determined to to see this until the very end?
1: I think that, first of all, we should, historically, Netanyahu is not a big responsibility taker. If we look back at his history, which is he's the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history, then he doesn't really tend to take responsibility for any failure. He's very good at taking credit for the successes, but not necessarily uh, for the failures. And just to point out, in May 2021, there was a very big civilian disaster in a, a religious gathering in which there was a huge collapse and 45 people were killed. And Netanyahu, who was prime minister at the time, and this is the biggest civilian disaster in Israel's history, he said, I didn't know, I can't be responsible because I didn't know about it. So he's going to try and use the same strategy. He's trying to use the same strategy to put all of the responsibility for the failures and for the misdoings, especially for the collapse of the intelligence, to put it on the army and the top security brass. And to be honest, their failure is very big. It's clear that anyone from the head of intelligence and the IDF and upwards, will probably resign at the end of the war. The Israeli security establishment has a tradition of people taking responsibility when they fail and resigning after the war. Netanyahu, on the other hand, does not have such a tradition. And he is basically trying to avoid saying, taking public responsibility because he's thinking about the day after the war. He thinks he's going to survive this after the war, and he will just need to appear in front of a commission or inquiry which will study the war and study the warnings before the war, and he doesn't want to take responsibility because he doesn't want to come to that commission when he's already tagged as responsible. That being said, if you look at Netanyahu's polling ratings, and there hasn't been much polling because we are in war, but internal polling shows that he has about between 12 to 18% support at this Obama. time, wow. uh, which is the lowest he's had in my memory. And as you said, he's not really in public. He's very much isolated, so he hasn't been confronted with the anger and the rage, even rage the families of the people who've been evacuated, of the innocent communities of the Gaza border who have been really trying to alert for years that Hamas is not just peacefully living with them. And Netanyahu has been prime minister for 40, for 13 out of the last 14 years. This, The fact that Hamas became so strong and so monstrous under his realm it's definitely his responsibility one way or another. I, Israeli politics are very hard to predict. Uh, Netanyahu is definitely going to try and stay and cling on to power, but I just don't at the moment. I think that uh, when there will be a scale down of the war and of the fighting inside Gaza, perhaps some political moves will start to, to push him or to try and pressure him to resign.
0: There is pressure coming from the Biden White House. It seems that they spoke to him about it at his recent at their at Biden's recent visit. That he started indicating, opening the door to this notion that maybe Bibi won't survive all of this. And there's more of that floating around in the Washington D.C. outlets today. That they're planning around a future without Bibi in Israel potentially. And of course, you can't ignore what he, what was happening in this period of time where. Israel had really lost its ability to, one would argue, to really monitor its uh, borders effectively because of the this judicial reform that has so distracted the prime minister that it was dividing a country clearly and openly through all those protests. It's very hard to divorce those events from what happened on October 7th. Clearly, not clearly, we don't have definitive proof, but it's likely that the terrorists viewed this as an opportunity to attack. They saw a weakening in in Israel's resolve. And they thought this is a great opportunity for us to try to do something in all likelihood. And so he must take some responsibility for that, one would think. Even if he doesn't, I'm sure the, the Israelis, I'm sorry, the Americans will remind him of that.
1: First of all, it's important to know that political report about the Biden administration deliberations about Netanyahu's political future was denied by the White House. That being said, I'm pretty sure they're probably talking about it just like everyone can understand and the White House has a long-term planning and is trying to think about the day after the war in Gaza and I think it's only natural that they will at least discuss the possibility of them needing to deal with a different with a different Israeli prime minister. Mm-hmm. I think that at this point, we're almost a month after the 7th of October, when, as you correctly said, almost everyone who was involved has taken public responsibility and only Netanyahu hasn't. I think at this point, it's time to let it go and let that question go because I think in many, it it just strengthens Netanyahu. Netanyahu is trying to create a question. Is he responsible or not responsible? The answer is yes. And the more we discuss about the lingering of him saying it, is, is in in a way where I think it's Israel is past that point already. Um, we're not waiting for him to say responsible he's responsible. Even if he does eventually say he's responsible, say you know, say those two words, it'll be very carefully legally drafted and worded so that it do- doesn't get him in trouble. Um, in my personal opinion, it's clear that Netanyahu is responsible, whether he takes it or not, whether he publicly claims responsibility or not. And about the Israeli public, we don't have elections in sight. It's too early to call. But at least the opinion polls show that Netanyahu, the Israeli public does indeed see Netanyahu responsible. And the only person who thinks he's not responsible is himself and his very close circle.
0: This is also having an effect, and maybe this might change the narrative a little bit. This offensive is making it unsafe for Jews everywhere in the world. and the, This global anti-Semitic uprising that seems to have appeared everywhere around the planet is, is having enormous repercussions for Jews everywhere. And so this isn't just a regional matter or an Israeli matter. It is a global matter, and it's a global matter for Jews everywhere because it's about Jewish safety everywhere in the planet. How is that being factored into public opinion in Israel right now? And do you think it's a game-changer ultimately?
1: I don't think it's a game-changer. I think it's very worrying. It's very worrying and it just adds on to this shattered self-esteem or self-confidence that was totally broken on the 7th of October. I think it's more like a philosophical matter, Hamas is e- what Hamas did to Israelis on the seventh of October was just pure evil. Mm. This is not about a legitimate right for Palestinian existence or for a Palestinian state. The things that they did there were just horrendous and horrible and monstrous and really you don't you don't have enough words that can describe how evil is what they did. Mm. And the fact that not only on the one hand, yes, these reports of anti-Semitism rising all around the globe in Western countries, which are supposed to understand that what Hamas did is evil. First of all, I think it highlights that this issue with Jihadists and the threat of Islamists and Jihadists is not only Israel's problem, it's a global problem. On the other hand, also the response in some of the progressive and liberal audiences in the West is also very disappointing and very worrying and very concerning. I have to say, as someone who considers herself a liberal, Mm -hmm. I do not understand how anyone can support those horrible things that have been done there. I I just cannot, uh, I understand the context. I am, consider myself someone who wants to live in coexistence with Palestinians. But Israel was not in Gaza. Israel did not occupy Gaza. It's the Hamas who has been terrorizing Israel from its borders in the past 17 years and also terrorizing their own citizens. And just to say that the whole global response and the fact that Israel does not have unequivocal support is just shocking, in my opinion. I do understand sympathy for the Palestinian cause. I do understand support for the Palestinian cause. I understand concern about what is happening in Gaza right now. I just don't understand how liberal societies cannot, can allow, can A, cannot stand by Israel and B, can allow anti Semitism and Islamism to haunt Jews right now. It's at large, it's a collapse of. It brings back traumas of the Holocaust. It brings back many collective traumas. And I have to say, I am a granddaughter of a family of Holocaust survivors. I never, ever felt fear, not in Israel and not abroad, never in my life. And in the past month, I've been asking myself, where would I feel more secure, Israel or abroad? At the end of the day, the question, the answer is, once again, yes, in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, so, so I just thank God uh, that uh, there is a, a state for Jews, and I do believe that we will overcome this. I just think that what we have confronted with Hamas is no different from what the West, can, West and the East had with ISIS, and that just is such a double face. A double standard in re- in the reaction to this massacre
0: I think there 's unanimous sort of support for Israel, without a doubt from from every major nation in the world, every western nation it's but these are pluralistic societies, as is Israel, as is Gaza. people have different opinions. there are people on Gaza streets who don 't support Hamas, there are people in israel who don 't support bibi netanyahu and they' people in the united states who don't support the i,
1: I really i really have to stop you yeah. because i don't think that the comparison between hamas and bibi netanyahu or the biden administration is adequate hamas is a terror organization hamas has been terrorizing israeli and palestinian mm-hmm. lives in gaza for the past 17 years and i'm not
0: saying i'm not saying you're misunderstanding maybe what i'm trying to say there I'm, I, I just think that there's a you get a variety of opinion. You get a spectrum of opinion, no matter where you are, and and every time you confront someone on the streets of New York City or or of Toronto or wherever you might be, you you're, you're going to get a variety of opinions, and you have to be open to those opinions taking shape around you because without that, they're, they're
1: anti-Semitic people... and they want to destroy me, and they oh, want I'm me to be, and they want to be, me to be wiped out of the.
0: You, know, you and I have to share very similar backgrounds. I have the same. My my parents survived the Holocaust. It sure is and an terrible that we are going through a, a resurgence of this kind of anti-Semitism that is horrific. And yet it's here. And whether we like it or not, we have to deal with it. It's one of those things that, that Western governments can try to put up as much of a front as they can. But it's still... In reality going to be here until this war ends and, and that makes everyone very unsettled it makes people here believe that they should be moving too but they can they move to israel it creates um, an enormous amount of un no one has felt like this around the world as a jew in decades it just has not happened in the case it's terrifying and no matter where you are and the daily i, I don't think in some ways israel is not that they could ever have been prepared but israel's been at war for a while it knows its readiness so the Some of these attacks happening here in the West are um, confronting people in a way that they would never have expected these things to have shown up in the way that. Not taking anything away from the horror of what happened. Oh no, of
1: course, of course. I, I, there's no competition everywhere about fear and concern. I saw a French woman crying after uh, swastikas were uh, put outside her house, saying that she can't go through these things again. It's just, I'm just saying that There's this, the rise of the anti-Semitism and the atrocities of Hamas, which, and the sponsor, the Iranian sponsorship, which out in the open says that it wants to wipe Israel out of the map. So it's just, for many years, I think we felt very safe and thought that was just rhetoric. And just what happened makes you question, is it just rhetoric or are they really out to get you?
0: Let's try to figure out a way out of this then. let's you're close to the situation. You know it better than any of us here. I, is there a solution? Is there a solution, as you see it, if this Hamas offer is is a legitimate offer? Do you think it's a starting point for negotiation? Is there a way still to negotiate out of this, or is there just a a, a military way of winning this and and getting out of this? But is there a, do you, do you think that there's a way out that makes sense, and who should be involved in that?
1: The way out is probably combined um, military and diplomatic uh, moves. Uh, There will have to be a very extensive operation in Gaza, which will um, take down a significant portion of the Hamas leadership, just because if Israelis want to go back and live in their homes on the Gaza Strip, then the Israeli army has to make sure that they are free there. So I think that the There will have to be a severe blow to the Hamas infrastructure and to the Hamas leadership. Um, There might be negotiations, hostage negotiations on the sideline or in between the fighting, but I think that we're going to see a few more weeks of fighting at least um, until we can start moving to the diplomatic stage. And the diplomatic stage I think at the end game will have to be some kind of return of the Palestinian authority, takeover of the Palestinian authority to the West to the Gaza Strip, but it will have to be with major Israeli military presence, whether in kind of a security strip buffer, a security buffer between the Israeli communities and the Gaza and the, and Ga- and the Gaza Strip but also with a heavy international force i don't know if it'll be a un force i don't know perhaps it'll be it can be a heavy presence of the arab league but that it, it can be if if we want to think of the day after then the only legitimate player is the palestinian authority but at the moment it's not strong enough to take care of gaza by itself so you will have to be with a very significant surrounding or cover given by both the Israeli security forces and also with international security forces.
0: Of course, the hostages are key to all of this. And we've seen none of them rescued so far, as far as I know, by the current offensive. So we don't know yet. One. There is one. Okay, one. One. That's probably the most tricky situation of all of this is how do you get into those tunnels? How do you how do you get these people out? They're probably in very specific strategic places that are booby trapped. They're not it's not gonna be easy, obviously, to get them out, if to get them out alive, that's for sure. That probably could turn either way. You could see that worsening with the hostages. You could see the trauma actually becoming much worse for Israelis. Um which might make the negotiated situation more appealing in some ways if it can be done in a in an earlier frame. If as Blinken arrives right now, maybe maybe there will be a push towards Restarting those talks in a more serious way. What do you think that's helpful? I think,
1: to be? It, from what I understand, it, it depends mostly on Hamas, which hasn't been really willing to negotiate anything so far, or just, and that's one of the ideas behind the military offensive and the ground incursion is to push Hamas to be willing to start negotiations. While, yes, I think. I know they are looking or trying or planning to rescue hostages, but as you mentioned, it might be very difficult and also very dangerous. There's always a risk that some of the IDF activity in Gaza can even risk some of the hostages' life lives, which is something inconceivable, very tragic to think about. I... Do think that Lincoln's arrival tomorrow will probably open up some corridor of diplomatic negotiations on something. I'm just not sure that Hamas, the Hamas leadership is at that point that they are willing to really negotiate by now and to give up the Hamas will want to keep hostages or at least some of the hostages as f- as much as they can because it's their card against the grand incursion. Another, dangerous scenario that could happen is a release of foreign, those amongst the hostages, some of some, I think about 130, or over 130 of the hostages have foreign citizenships. Alongside their Israeli citizenship, some of them are just foreign uh, nationals. And another dangerous or very painful scenario could be where there would be like two Two levels of hostages: that these those with a foreign nationality will be released, and those only with the Israeli nationality will be kept in. I do think that Hamas will want try and release. If it will be willing to release, it will release first the women and the children, and keep the men with them and the soldiers with them as much as they can.
0: Especially the children.
1: Releasing them all is something that could take. Long time, even years.
0: Yeah, I must say the situation with the children is just heartbreaking beyond belief. It's you just can't look at those faces anymore and see it. They Just imagine what it's like for them in those situations. There's just and for their parents and just for everybody. Just, hey, there's no good outcome um, from any of this. It's horrific, and it is also interesting to see the Israelis have been, even though it's been a, a, a ground offensive, it has not been a sort of enraged ground offensive. It seems to have been very deliberate and careful. And the and it is impressive to see the IDF. Doing what it does quite well with the coordinated strikes and the ground force at the same time. And all that is certainly would certainly make one feel like there's a, there's a optimism on the side of this. But it is just a horrible situation. And when you, I hear you saying things about Israel's confidence being broken, it really breaks my heart because you know, the last thing you expect of is Israel with confidence broken. My, I'm sorry this is going, this is happening to you, and I'm sorry it's happening to my family, to my friends in Israel, and it's it's horrible stuff. And we're with you throughout this.
1: I will say just one good thing or one positive thing or the only thing that kind of gives us hope. I think that gives many of the people hope here. We, t- you mentioned early, earlier the very deep divisions we had in the past year over the judicial overhaul. And after five election campaigns in four and a half years, really Israel was very much polarized and divided, and on the the what has been the past month has brought back many Israelis love of their people because everyone has been united in grief and in hope and while the government there's a huge disappointment with the army failures and with the government and with netanyahu, the civilian front has been outstanding. The volunteering has been heartwarming. The whole country has just been, just dived into helping each other everywhere. There's been agriculture problems on the Gaza Strip because all the communities have been evacuated and these are farmer communities. And there's just been swamps of volunteers going be- going down each day just to volunteer in agriculture and in picking up, picking fruit. And it's just um if, it's very sad that we needed such a hard tragedy to remember, but what, in, in these very dark times, and you're right, it's, these are very dark times, but the only thing that kind of I have hope in is the Israeli people who are very strong and are very creative and have huge hearts, and that makes me believe that we will overcome and we'll come back and we can build our confidence again. We might have lost the confidence in our army and in our leadership, but I think we've regained confidence in our people, which is, I think, a positive note to end on.
0: Very beautiful thought, and thank you very much for sharing it. And of course, throughout all these wars and endings, there's always an opportunity to create a new peace and for lots of good things to come out of it. So hopefully we'll get there at some point. Tal Shalev, thank you very much for being on the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Good to get to know you, and hopefully we'll have you back soon and hopefully under better circumstances.
1: You're welcome. Thank you very
0: much.
1: Thank
0: you. Have a good night. Thank you. Reporting every story that we break is made possible by our patrons. You too can become a patron by joining at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Narrative, where truth lives. One day you'll tell the story of autocrats, crooks, and kings who came for our freedom. A story of citizens who stood up to tyranny and won. The people prevailed and renewed an old vow to a more perfect union.
1: And that was just the beginning. The story continues.
0: Narrative. Where Truth Lives.